Welcome to Colts Coffee and Conversation. My name is Carl. And I'm Holly. And we are here to have you join us in our conversation while sipping coffee about Colts. Everyone's favorite pastime. Just kidding. We're going to be talking about different religious beliefs. Mostly, obviously, they're either no longer in existence or they are still in existence, but a smaller number than was before. Also, these cults that we'll be talking about, some are pretty still mainstream as well. So don't think that we're not going to forget about the big ones. We're going to break down, well, we're just going to break down on our first topic of conversation. Yes, we are going to go through Wild Wild Country. It's mm. a um, it's a special that is on Netflix at this time, That's and correct. there's five episodes. Five. So we're going to do the first episode. That's right, the first episode. We're going to break down, uh, we're just going to basically go over the story. <laughs> yes, and we're going to break it down by characters. Yes, by characters. and The main players of each um, of each uh, episode. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so uh, let's go ahead and uh, let's dive in. But before we dive in, we just want to make our little disclaimer here. We, you know, we're, we're just normal people. We have normal jobs. Uh, we are by far not the experts in any of this at all. We don't hold degrees in religion, but uh, we're just, like I said, we're like you and any others watched this and went wow that's pretty much it yeah let's go ahead and go on our journey uh, okay so the first thing this opens up with is the individuals that are in this small town in Oregon that's correct antelope to be exact okay and Carl can you uh, tell us who some of these players not a big part in the first episode but they will eventually become more and more prominent but we want to make a mention of them now yes it is important because this is a slow burn as they call when it comes to this story because uh yeah they're they're vital to understand the whole side of the story the first one opens up to is young not i want to say young but a portly man by the name of john silvertooth very soft-spoken man now what was he at the time he was a mayor of antelope at okay. that time he's also from what i've from later on if you take a look in the background when they're talking to him he has some uh, memorabilia over his so over he his ended up staying on he ended up he still lives in antelope okay he still lives everybody in everybody who we're talking about now still lives in antelope okay and who's the next person uh, there's a, an older couple with the mcgreers rosemary and kelly they look like the grandparents next door you know they're local ranchers that's what okay. they do okay and anyone else John uh, Bowerman, uh, he's also the next one uh, on, on that. He's the gentleman with the, the hat. I just, that's how I can recognize him the best is with the hat. Same with John Silvertooth, the overalls, the couple, Rosemary and Kelly, they both, they always sit together throughout the entire, the entire story that's played out. So with John Bowerman, if you're not good with names, we're going to throw a bunch of names at you. In my brain, I see him as the big, big brim hat. He has the uh, ranch next door to, to the ranch that we're that we're, we're going to talk to about. Discuss. Yes, okay, so now we're going to move on to the uh, main players in episode one. Well, yes. Okay, uh, real quick, just uh, just to follow up with uh, John Bowerman, uh, the guy with the hat. Uh, he lives next door to the Big Muddy Ranch. That's what it was called then, Big Muddy Ranch. Okay, so, so the first person we want to talk about is whom? Well, we have to talk about the, the main character. This is one, uh, she, well, there's two main characters in this story for the most part. 
but she's the, I would say, more so the tip of the spear. Okay, and her name is? Is Ma Amanda Sheila, but we're just going to call her Sheila. Okay. All right, and so uh, we're going to go over a little bit of a history, and they talk about this history. Uh, she's very well-spoken. Extremely. And she's very compelling uh, person. Yes. She has a great story to she tell. Mm-hmm. And she knows just about every secret about this uh, cult that there is to know. Right. And so her opening statement is something that is really amazing. Yeah, and the thing, too, is with this opening statement, is the moment she says it, sends chills down my spine. Okay. Because the your first impression, you know, second, you know, it's hard to uh, make a first impression the second time. Never get a second chance to make a first impression. What she says is just okay. so outerly. Let, yes, so let's get to it. Yeah, let's please, get by to all it. means, go ahead. So this is the quote from Sheila. With every crown comes the guillotine. Without the guillotine, you cannot wear the crown. And it was my fate. But why does one have to put someone under the guillotine? Because of their strength. They want to destroy their strength. And in spite of guillotine, they haven't killed me yet. They haven't killed my spirit yet. No matter where I go, I will always wear a crown. And also, there's one other sentence ahead of it that said, And while I am not afraid of the guillotine. Okay, I did not see that. Yeah, that that, that was the last part that she said, which means, I mean, just right then and there, the word fearless doesn't do it justice. This woman's beyond fearless. Like, the, like this woman, like I like to have what she's having for breakfast kind of thing. Right. She's one of a kind, definitely. Beyond. So she's the most compelling we say characters, we don't mean it in a bad way. We're just trying to tell a story, and they're telling a story. And this is part of, of the story. She's one of the most compelling, the most compelling characters in this story. So, Carl, can you give us a little background on her? Yeah, we can, certainly. Um, she was born in 1949 in uh, Baroda, which is in uh, the Gilaret State in India. So she's basically born in India. At 18 years old, uh, she left India. Well, let's rewind that a little bit before we even go to that. Do you want to? Yes. So when she was 16 years old, she her father took her and her sister to see a a man named Bhagwan Rashish. It is Rashnishish, right? Yeah. Sorry about that. It's, it's okay. It's it's his name is uh, Bhagwan Shri Rajneesh. Okay, so he was in India and he was a spiritual leader. Her father decided to take her in there, and she describes the meeting as you know wonderful, and she is immediately attracted to him, in a spiritual sense, in every sense that she called him her master. Yeah. And so he felt that her devotion right away. And built on that and started grooming her into being one of leadership in in his organization. Yeah, it's from what I can tell is that, you know, she fell in love with him instantly the moment that she saw him. Because when she's describing the first meeting that she met, just, just, man, she says that she fell in love first sight. 
She was very descriptive about the room specific. Yes, what she the was. room looked like, what the air was like. I mean, the, the, just the first meeting alone, she she mentions that she could die now. Right. So this was an apex of her life, her very young life at that point. Mm-hmm. And whatever path that she was going on at that point totally shifted yeah. to go on to this path to be a leader in this group. At this time, she did not know what that would look like. Right. Mm-hmm. So now she was able to, her father must have had some means and sent her to college. Yeah, Where was she, that? At 18 years old, she attended uh, Montclair State in New Jersey. Okay. And she was there for four years. That's what it looks like, yeah. It looks and like she, she was, was living years. an average American college person's life. Yes, that's correct. She met uh, her husband, I believe, in college. Yes, and uh, she met her husband. His name was Mark. Mm-hmm. He also was a, a devotee of this spiritual belief system. belief system. But there was something wrong with him. What was that? He had uh, Hopkins. Hodgkin. Hodgkins. I'm sorry, Hopkins mm-hmm. disease. Thinking of John Hopkins. He had Hodgkin's disease. He was fighting it for 12 years, I think she mm-hmm, mentioned. He was fighting like it for 12 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, it looks like he was, very, he was very sick when they met. Yes. From what it looks like. But now, this was her first love. Now, yeah. in the sense of the difference between her husband and the Bhagwan, one, one was more spiritual, one was more life-changing in, in some kind of a way. Whereas, whereas her husband was someone she could be with every day. They shared experiences and love and lived together. And it was a different type of... It was, you know, a husband-wife kind of love. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These are formations of Sheila's life. So you have the when she met the Bhagwan, when she went to college in America, she met her husband, married him. Then shortly after they were... Um, married, he passed away. Yeah, he passed away. Mm-hmm. Now, they evidently, at that point, it appears they were living in India. That's what it looks like. That I mean, because when you saw the funeral, it, it looked like it was in the, uh, in the uh, ashram. Yes. So the ashram, what is that? What is the ashram? Well, the ashram, well... Where was it we're, located? We're jumping ahead a little bit. We're jumping ahead a well, little, no, little bit. Well, no, we have the, t- the history of it the while history, we're going well, along. The, the ashram was set up... This was before they went to Poon. This was in oh shoot, I forgot the name. Well, it of the doesn't city. matter. It doesn't so matter. But yeah. no, the ashram, the they, that was basically their their haven. It was basically no, it was in the middle of uh, you could call it our version of a ghetto. You know, um, right? There was it was a shanty town. I think yes. is the best way to mm-hmm. put it. Bunch of shacks everywhere. But when you share some of the other people who who, who play a role, a major role in in the story, you know, they describe it as. An oasis in the middle of the desert. Right, because once they went through the gate, yep. they had vegetation. It was it was peaceful. Clean there water, was love. Yeah, you know, was, there was food. It was a and, communal living. Yes, yeah, so they had kind of carved out this little bit of paradise. Yes, and the Bhagwan was a teacher there. And That's correct. This is one of the things that they went and attracted them to that. Yeah. But so it appeared though back to Sheila and Mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He passed away there. And so, Carl, can you tell us what the Bhagwan told Sheila to do? Well, what happened was is that after the Bhagwan, the Bhagwan, after he died, I'm trying to remember the husband's name now. Well, we said Mark. 
I think it is it Mark. Yeah, he had another name, yeah, but I don't the, remember yeah. it. He, from what what Sheila said, that she was put to sleep for three days. Yes, the Bogwan said, "Okay, Sheila, we're going to put you to sleep for three days." Oh, and also, but before that, Sheila said, "I believe that Mark's going to die." Well, yes, what happened was is that uh, she called she called the Bogwan to let him know about Mark, and uh, she said that she. Because the way she was just well, the way she was describing it was that she was looking in the mirror and she became gray and very pale, and then she felt that there's something wrong with Mark, and that she knew that she felt something was wrong, and she called the Bogwan, and he meant she told the Bogwan that that she felt that Mark was going to die, and the Bogwan agreed. Yes. In a nutshell. And he said, don't cry in front of Mark That's because correct. it'll be harder for him, for him to, die. to die. That's correct. It would be torturous during his time of peace before he passes yes. on. Which, in my thought, was probably, you know, I mean, I wouldn't, I don't know. But it was a good, that was kind of good advice. But she mentioned that she did not cry at all. Never in front of him. No. Never in front of Mark. Or, and when you see the, the film of that uh, funeral, funeral she, she, was she was not smiling. crying. She did say that it was the worst grief that she ever had in her entire life. That is correct. She had genuine, true love for him. Mm-hmm. Now, after he, after the funeral, she was slept for three days, and then when she woke up from that, the Bhagwan told her that the chapter is over. Uh, I don't know if it was was it, was it, it that chapter was over, and now it's time to, to get, get to work. Get to work and bury yourself in the work. Yes. That's how he his his way for her to help with her grieving grieving process was have her barrier and bury bury herself in the work, which that's what most people do anyway. So now the work we as as she's describing it is, you know, we had they had all kinds of people coming to this ashram. Ashram. And but there was also pressure. Now, this is some kind when we go into more of the look um, uh, researching it Carl you found out that there was other issues leading up to the Bhagwan wanting to establish something out of India and what what were some of those things well I think once again I think we're jumping a little ahead of it because we still haven't got to Poon yet okay go ahead okay basically what happened was was that well, you kind of have to kind of do the history on how the Bhagwan became the Bhagwan. Okay. we got to set that up first. And then also we have, before we even do that, we need to probably cover some more characters as well. Yes. Okay, so let's, do I you want, we've gone, I, done with Sheila for right we're now. We're done with Sheila for the moment, yeah. Do you want to go move to a different character? Yeah, we, we should move on to, uh, well, there's a couple people that we that really need to, because these people play uh, important roles as well. Jane Stork. Who's also called uh, Mishanti B. So we're going to call her uh, Shanti B. We're just going to call her Shanti B. Um, she's from Australia. She's also another one of the characters that pops up in the beginning of their opening monologue. We kind of jumped up a little ahead, but that's okay though, because you kind of, you know, it, it's important to understand the whole story. No, she she felt that she got married. She got married. She had uh, children. She's living a normal life, assuming this is the way it was supposed to be. Externally, she put on the happy face. Internally, she was miserable. Quote, she's uh, living a life that uh, she hated. I thought that when she got married, it was supposed to be like a fairy tale. Like she had high expectations when it, or high hopes and expectations when she got married, but it wasn't what she thought it would be. She thought it would be something completely different. 
she said living a boring, angry life. So what happened to shift? What was the shift in her life that put her towards the path of going to uh, this, this group? Well, what happened was is that she met someone, if I can recall correctly. It was, uh, they were doing a meditation. Well, what happened was is that uh, they went, they went there, they had, this is part of how the Bhagwan was able to expand his uh, teachings. They had a uh, worship center, if you want to call okay. it that, a worship center. Someone was mentioning it to her that, hey, you know, this is something you might want to take a look at. And her and her husband went down and they did, they did kind of like a tutorial, like a, you know. Right, now, like are, a, this sort of like an exercise well, that they went through? Well, no, because, well, yes, but real, real quick. She was very skeptical at first. You got to understand that. She's extremely skeptical because, you know, at this point, she's just, uh, she's searching for anything. Okay. She's just not happy. You know, they took a, you know, somewhat guided tour or however you want to do it, you know, where they slept, where they ate. But the one thing that really got her was that she noticed all these pictures of the Bhagwan on the, on the walls. And the first thing she said was those, the deep wells of his eyes. It was his eyes that just got her. Like, just the way he looked, the way they had the photos placed. And then they did the meditation exercises. There's four different types of exercises. So can you go through those? Do you I, remember I, them? I don't remember. Well, I do under. remember a few of them. Well, I know that one was um, something about screaming. Okay, so go what ahead. they do is yeah. they, they will uh, breathe quickly. Quickly That's breathe. right, heavy breathing. And then the next one they was... They would scream out. They'd scream out anything. If you were mad, tell them that you're yeah. mad. If you're screaming, like, yeah. let it all out. The third one was uh, uh, some sort of dancing, I think it yeah, was. Yeah, they danced around. They danced around for quite some time. And I think this whole thing's an hour long. Yeah. So it's and like then 15, the last 15, one was where they... Dead silence. And they were laying down. They're laying down, dead silence. And after that, for what she said that... You know, after the meditation, she found that that's what she was looking for, and that release was instant gratification, and she began crying. Yes. But she was also, basically, it's tears of joy, because this is what it was. And she also mentioned that after the exercises, that she was just, like, in a daze, and her husband had to kind of, like, grab her and be like, hey. Something like that, come back. Something to that effect, yeah, yes. come back, because she was just gone at that point. But that, that was hooked, and during that time... After she got that, she wanted to uh, sit at the seat of her master. That's that's her quote. Right. So so this led her to take her family, and they went to India. Basically, what they did is sold everything and moved it moved to India. Uh, to the ashram. To the ashram. Ashram. To the ashram. Okay. Her going to the ashram. You know, they have to check in, obviously. Oh yeah, this is this pretty is, good. This is this is this is where she, this is where her and Sheila kind of meet for the first time. But before that, when Sheila was actually working at the ashram, she was the assistant to an, a different secretary, which I, I plum forgot her, her name. Well, it's, it's fine. Mm-hmm. So basically, Sheila was an assistant she to the assistant to the, secretary. To the sec, she was the assi- personal assistant to the secretary of Bhagwan. Okay. So basically, we should probably discuss the secretarial well, position of right, Bhagwan. That's true. Yes, you can. The secretary of Bhagwan, basically, she's pretty much in charge of everything delegating everything when i mean everything i mean everything right because the the secret the personal secretary of the bhagwan represents the bhagwan that's correct because all he wants to do is teach 
That's all he wants to do. Yeah, is he doesn't teach. want to administrate. No. He doesn't want to listen to complaints. Mm-mm. He doesn't want to have to talk to government or any of that Nothing. stuff. He yeah. just wants to do his thing and sleep. <laughs> yes. Nice life. You okay, know, so at but, this point... But at this point, she came in and... Uh, this is uh, Shanti B. This is Shanti B. Shanti B came in. And, you know, the first thing they gave her to was they needed a, a responsible cleaner. <laughs> and when she was given that job, she's like, I didn't come all the way over here to clean right. toilets. But that's what she did. Right, because honestly, it was a test. I'm it was. sure it was. But it, how long did she have to do that? A year. Okay. She did it a year because basically after she discussed that, Sheila was mentioning that they wanted to get rid of the looky-loos. So they wanted just the hardcore people who, who were there were, for the teaching. And that's for the, right, the, the, the and life that was going, yeah, the life change. Because in any kind of group, oh, this is great, you know, and there's a lot of freeloaders and that kind of thing Absolutely. that would probably come in. So they basically wanted to just take the cream of the crop, get rid of all the other ones. So yeah. you you know you start pressure. Well, in, in in anything in any in any any organization no matter what it is from mcdonald's all the way up to ibm you know you got you you have things need to get done yes you know and sometimes with the the uh the phrase of starting from the bottom that's the bottom you mm-hmm. know the custodial staff and that's not disrespecting you people in custodial staff you are muchly appreciated trust me in my work without you guys it uh, would be terrible but it's you know you work your way up and okay. that's basically from what i can tell is that how they weeded out the people who were just there for the fun yes and not for the the quote-unquote work ministry kind of thing i understand you know that's how they weeded everybody out and it just kind of just worked its way from there because at the ashram it was legit serious communal living they all chipped in they all had a job to do and every job was important I'm thinking, is there another person we want to talk about? Absolutely, there is. He's he's a he's a he, in the end, pretty much the top dog. But that's jumping ahead. Uh, his name is uh, Swami Prem Niran, also uh, Philip Tolkis. Uh, he's he's a, he's a lawyer. Okay, and we're going to call him Swami. We're going to call him Swami. Yeah, we're just going to call him Swami. He now for just first impressions of him. Uh, I just look at him as a man who I don't want to say burnt out because that's not the word I'm looking for but he's found his quote unquote zen he's in his spot his history was well his history I mean comes from a stressful background what did he do well he was a lawyer local uh, background on him uh, he graduated from the University of San Francisco he was after he graduated from the University of San Francisco he worked at Bronson Bronson and McKinnon uh, as just a standard lawyer from 71 to 74 uh, in San Francisco and then uh, went uh, later on to uh, Los Angeles and that's where quote-unquote made his bones right. um, that was over at the uh, district attorney's office from uh, 1974 to 81 at Manette Phelps ETAL uh, that's where he explains when he comes into the comes into play he talks about, you know, he grew up in the best time there was a time to be born. He was born in the 50s, raised by a great family. Obviously, he went to a university, became the lawyer. He, you know, become a trial attorney, so you'd want to, like, as he puts it, get collect your bones, is right across the street from the, you know, the district. Uh, he was a district attorney. And but he, he was, was a in very, Los Angeles, he was right? in Los Angeles. And, and mind you... At this time, he was a partner 
in this uh, uh, over at uh, Manat Phelps, etc. He was a partner. Yes. So it's not like he was making. But he represented some high profile people. He definitely did. I did not write down who he represented, but he did a couple of. Uh, okay. High so pro- he was in Hollywood. Yeah, he uh, was, Hollywood he was a, basically attorney. a Hollywood attorney, mm-hmm. definitely making. Uh, very good money. Uh, but also with a lot of that, he also mentioned that there was a lot of stress that came with it. All he did was work. And he explained it seven hours a day, 20 hours, you know, or seven seven days a week, 20 hours a day, like putting himself through a meat grinder. And at this point, he was pretty much burned out. And what happened was is that he went to go pick up a friend from the airport. He came back from India. This word ties in. And he was talking about when he picked him up, he said that looking at his friend, 20 years fell off his face. And he was just a different man and a different thinker. And he just had this, you know, they went on this trip in this VW van, you know, and he just said the way he was talking, the way he was, he's all, he played some tapes of, uh, of, uh, of the Bhagwan and his speaking. And that's where he got hooked. So what happened to him was that once that happened, he decided to go to India and, and, and he went to out. a visit. He for went to a visit. visit. He went for a visit. Uh, he went to a visit. I, I, the timeline of the visit, it doesn't say much because during the time that he showed up, and I know it's jumping a little ahead, but he got to hear him speak, and then he was also there when he didn't speak, and the Bhagwan chose not to speak anymore. Right, so there was a time during the time when Swami went that he went to see to hear him, and he did, and then you're saying that he decided, I'm not, this. I'm sorry, the... Bhagwan decided he's not speaking anymore. Yeah, we'll, we'll jump into that a little yes, bit later, later on. But, this but, the, is just... but the, the timeline, I don't know if he went back multiple times or not, because they didn't say. It just doesn't say. Uh, but he did definitely say that he was burned out, left L.A., found peace, and felt like he was at home the moment he went into the ashram. Okay. The ashram plays plays a role. Okay, so let's... Uh, is there anybody else we need to As of right about? now, no. There's no other characters. Okay, so... Well, people in play. Right. Okay, so now we're going to go on to the main story. We got the characters down pretty yeah, much. Yeah, we pretty much got the characters down, but the thing is we also want... we did Well, I did some research on the background. How did he get popular? Because he just didn't plumb get popular overnight, right? Okay, that's so, a good... This is a good point. Yeah, so... Basically, when you take a look at Bhagwan himself, because he comes and plays a role. Now, mind you, during, when this was filmed, the Bhagwan passed away in 1990. So, all you have is just his recordings and stuff. So, you're never actually going to have a, a sit-down chat or an interview with him, because he's, he's gone already. Now, what I did was, is that, you know, when you take a look at Bhagwan, your first impression when I saw him was, mind you, they had the uh, uh, early recordings when he was just in his apartment, where Sheila met, because he looks like he did... His work inside of his apartment. That's where he pretty much started. Because when you took a look at uh, the footage they showed of him, is that his apartment had books everywhere. So yes. he, he was a very knowledgeable man. Yes. And uh, when you see him, he's sitting in his chair and he's got his white robe on and his sandals. Very simple, very simple looking man. Long beard, but he had this kind face. He has that presence of peace and kindness. I can't I can't take that away from him. He's got a good presence. But in the 1960s. What he did was, in order to get his message, is that uh, he traveled throughout India in a public public speaker, and he was very vocal, and, and he was a, vo- a very vocal critic of socialism. Now, at this time, that was not even frowned upon in, in India. Now, he argued uh, that India was not ready for socialism, and that socialism, communism, and anarchism could, e- could evoke only when capitalism 
had been reached maturity. That was his opinion on it. Okay, so it was you would might say that he was a capitalist. Ye, yes, yes, and no. Okay. I think I, from what I can tell from looking at from him then to what he became, kind of changed his mind a little bit. But we'll get into it. Also, um, the one thing that you don't do in India is criticize Gandhi. He criticized him heavily about his uh, Hindu religious orthodoxy. He really bashed him very well and was no qualms sharing his thoughts about it. His uh, doctrine was focused on meditation, uh, mindfulness, love, celebration, uh, courage, creativity, and believe it or not, humor. And he says that all of that were suppressed by the state of belief system in India. Okay. So he, uh, yeah, he, and he also, uh, another thing too, uh, which gave him a moniker, uh, he had an open attitude to human sexuality. And this caused him to be known as the sex guru. Okay, so now he's going around, he's speaking, he's gaining support. Yeah, he's getting support because at this time, this is the 60s. So, I mean, we can easily take a look at the 60s here in the United States. Well, that's where they, that's where the hippie movement was coming in. And that's pretty much everything the hippie movement was about. But basically, I look at, uh, at uh, his origins of what he was doing was a... Uh, Basically, an Eastern version of a Western hippie. Okay. And he sense. did attract Europeans oh, and absolutely. Americans. Well, well, basically what happened was that uh, at this time, a lot of people over here were, were dabbling into Buddhism and things of that nature. So where did this come from? What is this Hinduism? What is the beach? Because we had the, um, what those guys in the orange robes? Ma, the Maka, I'm saying Makarishians. It's not, it's... Uh, um, Hare Krishna. Hare Krishnas. Right. You know, that's similar to what is but not not too crazy but you know people in europe in, in the united states and in the west because they use that phrase a lot the west people came out and took a look and that's you know little by little word of mouth uh he also published a lot of books during this time that's when they had a kind of a machine behind him so he was making tapes he was making books there's so many books he's written that are it's mind-blowing so now we have him. He's rising in popularity. Yeah, this is in the sixties. Yeah, in the seventies, okay. uh, he's he he kind of gets himself into trouble. You know, he expanded his teachings uh, against uh, religious writings. He was very against that traditions, uh, mystics, and philosophers around the world. So he he didn't just stick to India. He went global about everything, and how he was able to reach that was through the teachings and the books and the um, uh, meditation centers. Okay. That's what they call mm-hmm. the meditation centers. Now, yeah, I know, right? In uh, 19, basically church, uh, in, in 1974, this is where he relocates to Poon, uh, the ashram. Okay. Okay. He re- relocates from the apartments. Okay. Then to the ashram that everyone is now visiting for the yes. characters from the past. Mm-hmm. Now, by the late 70s, tensions were rising uh, between Janta Party. Now, the Janta Party was around from 1977 when they release power from 77 to 2013 so they were a very inactive party now the Janta party uh claims that the rajneeshi owed taxes over five million bucks okay so this is where we're really getting into it this now. is where we're getting the teeth of it to where we kind of play up because when you're when you're watching the 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 show itself these details a lot of them are left out because as anybody when we're telling a story we're going to tell it as it's the best light for ourselves. So Sheila's starting out telling this story, and she is the main narrator of the story because she was there. Yeah, I she mean, was there from the infancy to it to, to all the way, to, all the way, all the way, way through end. to the all end. All the way through to the end. 
so um these certain details but she does I think she does intimate certain things in her speech that says it's time for the Bhagwan to move on and they and the Bhagwan wanted mm. some land. Well, and well, so what happened was that he wanted to make the ashram bigger. Yes. Um, what happened was was that uh, during this time when they were bringing in people from the West and, and people from Europe, they really were focusing on people who actually had talent. He was very huge uh, during this time in regarding creativity, being yes. creative. He really, 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 really pushed that. So he, his main, you know, their main focus was to actually have their own city. Right. So he had the uh, his first personal secretary. Yes. Go out, and he told her we don't remember her name. Yeah. But to go out and find. A piece of land. Yeah, she wanted to find, go find a piece of land that they could purchase. Uh, the first one they were, they went to, if I can remember the cities correctly, they went to Bombay. That didn't happen. Uh, she also went to... I think it was Delhi. It was Delhi. It was another, and a few other provinces. And the, during there, this time, though, they were having issues with the government. Yes, that's why. They were having why, issues with the government yes. because mm-hmm. this is when he was going against the value... You, you, you made fun of Gandhi. And the woman that was running, I guess, who was in charge at the time, the She's prime, a prime minister. minister, yes. And her last name is what? She was Mrs. Gandhi. Boom. Okay. Yes. yes. So, I mean, so what happened was is that, I guess, uh, according to uh, Sheila in the story, she was summoned by... Bhagwan. Bhagwan, thank you. By Bhagwan. Of course, you know, talked to her, said, hey, what do you think of... Oh man, I wish I remembered her name. Uh, the, well, the secretary. Anyway, but you yes. know, he pretty much said that you know she's not good for you. You know, she's she can't handle building a community where she felt she can do it. Right, because there was organization. Yeah, and, she, and all kinds of things. There's one thing you can say about Sheila. That woman was organized. Yes. So basically, at that point, that's when the Bhagwan blessed Sheila yes. with the the mantle. She, he put the mantle on her to be the personal secretary, which yes. meant everything. Which meant everything. Yes. So basically what happened was she made it her mission because uh, the first thing she was supposed to do was find a place. So instead of looking through India, she decided to go to the United States because she pulled out the Constitution. Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights where they can actually... Well, this is kind of where the lawyer comes in, and there's also another gentleman, which, you know what, I plumb did not write his name down as well. He actually was a proprietor of Eastern religious beliefs in the United States. Right, So, but the basic idea but with was... Him, but he was also a, I guess, a visitor of the ashram. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the help of him and the help of, with Sheila and, of course, the funds behind them, they were able to... Find loopholes in the in in the uh, 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 the Bill of Rights and also the uh, Declaration of Independence, like or the Constitution. The Constitution. So, they, so basically, what at this point in the episode, yeah, what Sheila says is we they decided the United States was the place where the Bob yes. one could go. Yes, they could take their their people. They could find a spot and they could worship as they wanted. They yes. would be free. because what their, what their goal was yes. to have their own city was the only way they could do it without any provocation. Right, because they've already, they as you have already found out, they owe taxes. Five million. Right. And they've also upset the government by their beliefs. And they actually felt that that group was a threat. A threat. Yes, it was a threat to the... 
was a threat to their society. Okay, so let's go on now. I want you to tell me what transpired. We know that... Well, I'll well, tell you something. So, and um, then you you can t- say the next thing. Sure. So, Sheila is very organized, as you said, Extremely. and very smart. Mm. She told us that she went to the proper authorities to get all of the visas and yes. all. So, she had to organize all of the travel and all the, the legalities for... For people to to go to the United States mm-hmm. now, how was the unusual part about that? How did that transpire? Well, you talking about the the leaving part? Yes. Okay. All right. So basically, what happened was, in a nutshell, you have our, you know, well, we have to go back to our cast of characters. Okay. So we have. So what I'm saying is, you have the Bogwan, you have Sheila, and you have other unnamed people. So what happened is well, they they decided they had to get the Bhagwan they, out. They had to get him out because from what it looks like, because at this time he wasn't talking anymore. Correct. He wasn't talking. And anymore. we think that there's a possibility he didn't want to have his words come back to haunt him in the government or any of that. So he decided to. He just tried to just zip quiet. it and just basically. It, right. Well, what happened was is that as far as the exodus goes, once she got the paperwork and everything. Sheila spoke to her in her inner circle. Yes. Now, the characters that we've talked about were not in the inner no, circle. No, this is they still the in the This is in the ashram, ashram in, in, in India. Yeah. She basically told them, don't say a word, don't say nothing, because the moment it's leaked out, we're done. So it, it was that very tight-knit secret. It had to be basically a last-minute thing. Now, my, my personal opinion in regards to this, since he didn't talk, I think he was sick, but that's just my opinion, because... Sheila kept talking about how frail and how fragile and he was porcelain, this kind of thing. So this kind of tells me that he was probably sick at one point at, okay. at the so, time. But but basically what happened was in the middle of the night, they pretty much pack up the armored Rolls Royce, which that raised my eyebrows to thinking that he wasn't very popular outside of the ashram. They basically get on a... Uh, a Boeing 747 jumbo jet. They bought the entire first class. <laughs> That's a lot of money. That's not cheap. Entire first class for him to sit pretty much by himself and Sheila and maybe two or three other people. Because they only did was they just saw the limo drive away. Now, Shanti, who was at the ashram living there with their family, she sees, she sees him drive away in that Rolls Royce. Now, she mentions he's ne- in four years he's never left. The ashram. He's never left. So he's gone silent. He's never left. Sheila's running the show. So And she sees him driving off. Yeah, she sees her, Sheila, and two other people drive off in the Rolls Royce. And that was it. He's gone. He's on a seven forty seven. He's taken off. And of course they have they show photos in the in in, in the uh, in the film, uh, in this episode, and they're celebrating. The thing is that the, from what I took of it and how uh, Shanti B said it, it was like they were abandoned. Yes, they were just, and he, they didn't know where he went. They, nope. He never returned. They nothing was ever said. Nope. And all that happened was certain things were dismantled and shipped off somewhere. It's so possible. they were all kind of like, well, now what? What do we do next? Well, because that's what Shanti said. She said that now. What am I going to do? I literally moved my entire family to India. To, to be with the master, and there he goes and leaving. What are we supposed to do? So now let's segue over to the Swami. Swami, he did visit. He came back to the United States. It's sort of unclear, 
but he was in Los Angeles, and he he, he was relaxing. Watch. He was with his girl or girlfriend or yes. whatever, his female partner, as he calls it, drinking coffee. Yes, and, uh, uh, and, and he, having baguettes. And, and what did they read? They they had a uh, brought him a L.A. Times newspaper, and sure enough, there as we said, Guru goes to Oregon. Right. And and that was that was Bhagwan. And now Bog, uh, yes, and Swami. Evidently, you know, he he didn't wasn't able to keep in touch. Or I'm not. We're not kind of sure how that all worked out. Well, well, from what I can tell, from what from what he said, he basically picked up the phone that moment that he read the article. You know, he called the uh, you know the operator. The operator in the olden in, days, in the we had he called operator. the operator, and he had to have the uh, uh, the, the area name. code. Yeah, the area code. code. Yeah, and he said, "I need to talk to the people, the guru, blah blah blah." And then he guess they knew exactly who they were talking about, yes. so they put him through. And uh, sure enough, he said, look, I'm a lawyer. I'm in Los Angeles. I'm coming up. What do you want me to do? He said within minutes, she was talking to Sheila. you know. And Sheila said, are you licensed in Oregon? He said, no. He's like, get licensed in Oregon. Come on up. Which he did. Which he did. Okay. Basically, that is the first episode. Is there something that we need to know um, uh, well, beyond that? Well, we they do show photos, aerial photos oh, yes, of, the ranch. of the ranch. Now we can let's talk about the ranch a little bit. The ranch used to be called the Big Muddy Ranch, and that was you know, told us by uh, John Bowerman, who's the neighbor of the Muddy uh, the Muddy uh, Ranch, Big Muddy Ranch. I thought it was Big Money, but it was Big Muddy M E D D Y. <laughs> I was like, dang, he was balling back then. And he was the next door neighbor. Now, this big muddy ranch was 64,229 acres big. Huge, vast land of property. Now, on that property, there's. it appears from the photos and the, the film that it was a lot of mountainous, it desert. Was, it was desertous, mountainous, rocky. Because it's in central Oregon. It's, it's not on the coast. It's in central. It's a, it is more... Uh, if you take the state of Oregon, it's north central. Okay. It's north central. So yeah, you're you're basically got less. But the way it's set up, that you can build. Oh yes. You definitely there's flatlands there where you right. can make exactly. It happen. So this was uh, the big muddy ranch. Yeah, they paid. Uh, uh, they paid in 1981 for it. They paid uh, 5.75 million dollars for that ranch. Okay. Now in today's money it's fifteen point five million. Okay. From what we're told, the money that they received were from the people that joined the ashram. That is correct. They were able to. She's uh, like I said, got to give Sheila her credit where credit is due. She was able to create their own banking system inside oh, yeah, the ashram. That's right. uh, we forgot to mention that. No, they were they were they were loaning, but people were using the bank so much that they were. You know, people owed they were uh, they were carrying notes as how she put it, which basically they're carrying debt over five hundred thousand dollars. Well, actually, their their devotees were well, lending donating. them they the were, money. They were lending and they were also donating. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and, and right. like I said in the beginning, when the, the the original plan was to when they wanted to build that city, they were not going for joe the taxi cab driver they were going for architects they were going for lawyers they were going for city developers they were going for like you said the cream of the crop right so these people were definitely weren't shy of having money in their bank account okay so and we gotta understand too we're talking indian money so 
you know, yes, a thousand dollars in India, especially during those times, went a long way. Of course. So you know, for an ashram, that ashram that they lived, I think a total of seven thousand people lived in that ashram at the time in Pune. So you can only imagine. It's a lot of people. It's a lot of people, but imagine the size of it. You know, it's pretty big. What happened was is that later on in the episode, you know, they're talking about uh, how. And they and they ended it very strangely, but but it's just you know it's a it's a teaser because you know you're gonna go on to the next episode <laughs> as soon as you watch the first one. It's like well you can't end it like this. It's a cliffhanger, to where Sheila's saying we had to get houses so they getting double wide, trying to get it all set up because at this time remember the Bhagwan wasn't there yet. She had to get it prepped first. So where at at that stage you see uh, when they're about to end the the thing or end the at the end of the episode. They're rolling out the orange carpet, flowers and stuff, and you see all the locals in the town, which, mind you, the town's only population of 57 people of Antelope. So you got to figure that there as well, because we haven't talked much about Antelope, actually. Not yet. We'll, we'll do that the next time. We'll do that the next one. Yeah, it, it's, just, it's just the setup for what's going on to where we know now they have a chunk of land, and now then what? Right. We pretty much need to wrap it up. Yeah. And so we anticipate uh, uh, doing the next episode. Yeah. We'll do, yeah. Uh, just stay tuned. Yeah, definitely uh, leave some feedback, leave some comments, uh, however, however it works. Yeah, just let us know what you think and like us and follow us. Do whatever you got to do to make it, uh, make it happen. Yeah, hope you enjoyed it. Guys, have yourself uh, a great whenever, day, weekend. Have a, have a good one.